Today I'm starting a new series of talks. There are three in the series. A great philosopher recently asked the question, whatever has happened to the human race? Something mysterious apparently is happening to society. I want to talk about the only solution to the collapse of morality around the world. And today my topic is a day to remember. And before I bring this message, I'm pleased to bring to you my wife. And she has a special message from her heart for you today. Would you please welcome her? Have you heard the good news? Postage stamps have gone up again. I had to go out and buy a heap of these one-cent stamps. Beautiful though, aren't they? So I could still use some of the old ones. You know, there are lessons to be learnt from the humble stamp. What a postage stamp says, I represent my country. I am always ready for service. I go wherever I am sent. I do whatever I am asked to do. I stick to my task until it is done. I don't give up, even when I am licked. <laughs> I am necessary to the happiness of the world. We Christians represent a heavenly country, don't we? And we need to be always ready for service. As an old Christian once said, we are saved to serve, not to be served. Another lesson we can learn is not to give up when we're tired and weary. Let's not be like the folk in this little poem. I've taught a class for many years, borne many burdens, toiled through tears. But folks don't notice me a bit. I'm so discouraged, I'll just quit. Some time ago, I joined the choir that many folks I might inspire. But folks don't seem moved a bit, and I won't stand it, I'll just quit. I've led young people day and night and sacrificed to lead them right. But folks won't help me out a bit, and I'm so tired, I'll just quit. Christ's cause is hindered everywhere, and folks are dying in despair. The reason why? Just think a bit. The church is full of folks who quit. And then there are some people who don't even want to start. A New York City minister was pleased to have a churchgoer come to him to ask some questions about joining his church. After a long talk with the man, the minister said, one of the things that you'll want to think about is the department of the church in which you would prefer to serve. Oh, I'm not interested in anything like that, the man said. I just want to join the church. I believe I will visit other churches before making a decision about joining. 
the minister smiled kindly. This church is known as the church of the savior. Maybe you are looking for the church of the heavenly rest. The minister never saw him again. Another lesson we can learn from the stamp is to stick to our task until it is done, no matter what difficulties come, whether through fire, flood, earthquake, and yes, even war. The letter with its honorable stamp usually makes it. There are levels of difficulties. For example, a Marine who hadn't received any mail for weeks was finally handed a letter while lying in a foxhole on Saipan with bullets whizzing over his head. It was a bill for $3.52 and the note read, if this bill is not paid in five days, you will find yourself in serious trouble. <laughs> they must have been kidding. But you know, it's easy sometimes to think a $3.25 bill problem is as serious as a foxhole problem. Ever feel you're not appreciated? Join the club. Most, if not all of us, have that feeling from time to time. Take the stamp, for instance. Have you ever told a stamp how much you appreciate it? I didn't think so. Okay, I haven't either. Shame on all of us. But does the stamp hop off the letter and have a pity party? Does it say, I'm never appreciated, nobody ever thanks me, so I'm just going to go home? Of course not. It sticks to its job until it's finished. Sure, it's nice to receive appreciation, and we should be able to give it to others also. But whether we receive it or not, we need to labor on till our work is done. For we are saved not to be servant, to, to be served, but rather to be servants. The topic today is a day to remember. Millions of people, good people in America, are perplexed about society. Mark Kellner, who's a member of our church, has described what is happening as the coarsening of society. It seems to some of us that today almost anything goes. From the very top in, of the government in Washington, right down to the local level. There seems to be so much lying and some people say well what's wrong with lying they have what they call spin professionals so if a person tells a whopper if he's a leading politician they'll have professional people usually lawyers who'll put a spin on it so that what he said is justified so lying cheating Stealing, there is a permissive sense of lawlessness. Not so much immorality, friend, as amorality. 
Abnormality, of course, is different to immorality. Immorality is when we know that something is wrong, we still do it. But abnormality is the attitude, uh, so what? It doesn't matter. It's okay. It's all right to lie. In fact, there are some people who have even been rewriting the history books. This is true, it's amazing. In some of the universities in America, they're actually rewriting history. And when they have been challenged, they've said, well, does it really matter what happened back there if it makes the people who read this new history feel better about themselves? This prompted one of the world's greatest philosophers, Francis Schaeffer, to ask the question and to give a series of meetings on the subject, whatever happened to the human race? What is wrong basically with society? Is it simply a sign that some of us are just getting older? We talk about the good old days and there were no such things as such thing as good old days, but most people, whether they belong to the far right or even liberal Christians and liberal politicians say, there is something sinister that has happened in the land, starting at the White House, right down. Whatever has happened to the human race. And this has led some right-wing evangelical Christians to ask the question, should the new president, President George W. Bush, enforce a Sunday law? Why on earth would a person enforce a Sunday law? What on earth has that got to do, or if not a Sunday law, at least a Sabbath law? People would say, what has a Sabbath law got to do with morality and the reformation of society? Is there any relationship between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day and the keeping of the Sabbath and the Lord's Day and the morality in society? Some people, including the Pope, say yes. Let me read you this statement. I want you to think about this. The greatest theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth, quoted this man, D. Quivain, who said, where the holy day becomes the day of man, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. I want to get these words in your minds. And so I've written them over here on the blackboard or the chalkboard. Where the holy day, that is of course the Lord's day or the Sabbath day. Where the holy day becomes the day of man, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. And the great philosopher, the great theologian, the great German scholar, Karl Barth said, this is the root cause of the collapse of society. The holy day has become the day of man. And society and humanity are withering away 
and the demons are ruling. I wonder, is it an exaggeration to say that the demons are ruling? I think the demons are ruling in many parts of Washington, D.C. I do. I think in the lying and the slander and the viciousness, we see the rule of demons. I think when you turn on some types of music, rap music, where you hear the advocation of the killing of police officers and the violent rape of women, and millions of people listen to this stuff and some of the most influential people in the world who run some of the most important magazines are the ones who are behind it. Some would say the demons are ruling in many parts of this land including Hollywood. And so Karl Barth quoted this philosopher where the holy day becomes the day of man, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. Why not have a Sabbath law? Get people back to church. Get people back to getting on their knees and reading the Bible and singing hymns. It sounds like a very good idea. It is not as radical as some of you think. It has happened many times in history. It happened in the days of Constantine, around 300 something AD. Because Constantine saw the perversion of society and he said, what we need is a day when we all worship the creator God. This was when Constantine, the Roman emperor, became a Christian. And he started his reign with a law to enforce the keeping of the holy day. Of course, that would never happen in America, but it has already. It happened in the days of the Puritans. The Puritans enforced the keeping of the, what they considered to be the holy day of God so that the demons would not rule in America. There are societies today in America, right-wing evangelical Protestant societies, backed up today by powerful Roman Catholic groups such as the Lord's Day Alliance, and these societies say the only hope for America is to return to God and to keep the holy day of God so that we can stop the decline of society. And they say if people are not smart enough to do it by themselves, then the government ought to help them a little. The government ought to help them a little. And so we see today a proliferation of government in the United States of America and the government coming into every part of the people's lives. And it happens because the people want it so. And so the idea of George W. Bush, who was a Baptist, evangelical, born-again Christian, who believes that the person who influenced him most in his life in all ways is Jesus Christ. It is not so wacky an idea that the president ought to bring to Congress a law to enforce the keeping of the Lord's Day. 
And if he were to do this, of course, he would have the backing of the Pope. Because the Pope in his, in, in his wonderful article, because it is wonderful, it fills me with wonder. <laughs> this wonderful article on the Lord's Day says, it is the duty of civil governments to enforce the keeping of the holy day. Because they know there is a relationship between the keeping of the Lord's Day and the prosperity of society and the prosperity of the home. Remember, where the holy day becomes a day of man, where the holy day becomes the day of man, society and humanity wither away and uh, the demons rule. I would like to say to the people who are watching this telecast, if the demons are ruling in your home, and if your life is withering away, and if you can see no light, it could be that we have struck today upon the very problem that in your home and in your life, the holy day of God has become the unholy day of man. And that is why your life is withering away, and that is why in your own life, the demons are ruling. I'm going to answer these questions today and next week and the week after. Is the widespread desecration of the Sabbath the cause for national apostasy? Would Jesus keep the Sabbath if he were here today? When, how, and why was the Sabbath changed from the seventh to the first day? Next week I'm going to give you evidence from the Bible and a great deal of evidence from history. Is the Sabbath abolished by the death of the Lord and how should the Lord's day be kept? I want to say this to you. You will never hear material which is more relevant to your own personal peace and happiness. Some who do not understand cause and effect will say, what on earth has this got to do with me as a housewife, as a doctor, as a dentist, as a carpenter, as a butcher, as a baker, as a candlestick maker. I want to promise you this today, that if you can reach out by faith and grasp these great principles of the Sabbath, then you will have a joy and a peace and a fulfillment such as you have never dreamed possible. We are not going to be cowards and skirt the issues, but we're going to go today to the very heart of the problem. Therefore, today, I want you to notice with me the importance of the holy day of God from the beginning of time until eternity takes over this world. I want you to notice now the history of the Sabbath. Would you please come with me to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3. And I'm glad to see you here today and I welcome you. And I want to wish each of you a very wonderful day. Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. And for those who are watching the telecast, let me invite you to come and join me on Saturday mornings right here at this wonderful facility at 100 West 
Duarte Road, Arcadia, California. Did you folks get the address? 100 West Duarte Road, Arcadia, California. Come join me next Saturday morning. Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. No, let's come to Genesis chapter 1 for a start. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3 says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing so on the seventh day he rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he, God, rested from all the work of creating that he had made. I don't understand Genesis chapter 1. Do I believe it? Yes. Do I understand it? No, I don't. Do I understand how God whom I cannot see but whom I can experience, but a God whom I cannot see, out of nothing made the universe, made this planet, and after a period of time fashioned this planet into planet Earth, and then he made the human race. A new and distinct order in the universe made in the very image of God. And the Bible says that when God had finished the great work of creating the world, which was capped by the creation of man and woman, then he made the Sabbath. The Bible says that Yahweh Elohim, almighty God, rested on the Sabbath. Does God, I ask you, get tired? Why would the creator who flung the stars in space need to take a sabbatical? He took a sabbatical because even God apparently needs a spiritual rest. And he did so to tell to the human race, you need it too. Unless you understand what man is composed of, you cannot understand the truth that I'm talking about today. Man is more than a body. He is more than a mind. Man is also a spiritual being made in the likeness of God. And unless we come apart we come apart. And so God said, I know what you need. You need the holy day of God. So this goes back to the days when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. When out of nothing God made the cosmos, and as the crowning work of his creation, he made a king and a queen to rule over the kingdom. So that's the first reference to the Sabbath. It is Edenic. 
The second reference is found in the book of Exodus chapter 16. And I would like you please to turn to it. Exodus chapter 16. Dear hearts and gentle people. And everybody watching on television, please turn with me. Get your Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, which is the story of the children of Israel as they came to Mount Sinai just before they received the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 16. These people were hungry people. And God said, I'm going to give you a meal such as you've never had before. And God opened up the windows of heaven and he poured out a food. The Bible says it was sweet as honey. <laughs> Which is no excuse for you to eat lots of sugar. But they ate this stuff. It was like coriander seed made wafers, made with honey. Maybe your constitution could take it. Theirs could for sure. Because when they came out in the morning and walked over the ground, they said, manna, manna, which means what on earth is this stuff? <laughs> That's what it means. Manna. And so they called it manna. What is it? And it's an interesting thing that God worked a miracle for the best part of 40 years as they were eating this high calorie, sugary stuff. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, verse 21 and onwards. Every morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. When the sun grew hot, it melted away, just like chocolate. <laughs> On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. This is quite incredible. How many days in a week? Seven days. So the manna fell on the first day and the second day and the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day. And the people kept it over till the next day because they were somewhat gluttons. If they tried to store it up, it got maggots in it. But on the sixth day when the people went out to get it, they didn't need to get a huge amount because... It kept over the Sabbath and there was enough for them. So there was the miracle on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. How do I know the days of the week? Yes, those days have not changed. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It seemed to have a special preservative in it. And then on the Sabbath, the seventh day, there was none. So you had how many miracles a week? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Six, and then you had a bigger miracle on the Sabbath because 
He didn't get any maggots. Seven miracles a week, 52 weeks in the year. How many is that? Say 350, is that right? Around 350? 360, I don't care. And then you've got 40 years, 40 years, 40, multiplied by 360, multiplied by 10, 3,500. Then you've got to bring up the four, multiply, four, three, 12, four. It's 14,000 miracles. 14,000 miracles. 14,000 miracles to try to teach the human race that man shall not live by bread alone. 14,000 miracles to teach the human race that where the holy day becomes the day of man, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. Then a little later, God came down in fire on Mount Sinai. Goodness me. I like watching Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. I love the scenes. I'm still like a little boy when I watch those things. How they opened up uh, the Red Sea and all of that stuff. I'm told, you know, you can go here in Hollywood and they'll just open it up for you and all that stuff. That doesn't dim the amazement of it for me. I, I still see the sea opening up. And then you know the great sequence where Charlton Heston, who is now the president of the gun lobby, <laughs> where Charlton Heston goes up the mountain as Moses, the servant of God. What a sequence. And as he is up there, the voice speaks, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then there comes that flaming hand and writes with a flaming finger the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments have been the basis of every civilized society. Don't forget it. The Ten Commandments have been the basis of morality for every civilized society. No, the heathen haven't had the Ten Commandments, but thank God America has. Because the Ten Commandments are the basis of civilization. Come over here to Exodus chapter 20, and I want you to notice the commandments. Exodus chapter 20, and I want you to notice what God put in the very heart of the Ten Commandments, dear hearts. Exodus chapter 20, here God is talking to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, and can you imagine the voice of God? Can you think of it, friend? The Bible tells us the voice of God like the sound of many waters. And God speaks with majesty and with power. Somebody has said if God came down over Los Angeles or Hollywood or Arcadia or New York or Sydney and God came down with a message today, what would be the message of God to the world? It would be, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. I tell you, my friend, 
I cannot conceive of a greater sin than to take the name of the Almighty God in vain. And yet today, everywhere you turn and everywhere you listen, whether it is some crazy television program or somebody next door or somebody who walks through the doors of the church, they will say, and I will say it softly, they'll say, oh my God, oh my God. And here they willingly violate the third commandment You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless. And then you come to the fourth commandment. Remember, this is the day to remember. Verse 8, remember, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your manservant or your maidservant nor your animal nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Enshrined in the very heart of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath because God knows that when the holy day of God becomes the unholy day of man, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. I ask you today, are the demons ruling in your life? Are they, le- are they leading you a dance in your own home? Could it be it is because you and I are violating the holy day of God? Then as you go through the Old Testament, you have reference after reference to the keeping of the holy day of God. I can only show you a few. Would you come with me to Isaiah chapter 56, my dear friends? Isaiah chapter 56. Oh, that I could take more time and show them all to you. Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 3. This was written about 700 years before our Lord. Isaiah chapter 56. Blessed. What does the word blessed mean? Does anybody know? Blessed. Blessed means happy. Can I see the people in the congregation today who desire to be happy? Would you put up your hands if you want to be happy? Would all those who want to be sour and miserable please stand in the church? (laughs) Then let me see the hands of those who desire to be blessed today. Put up your hands if you want to be blessed. Well, look, look, here is the solution. Verse 2, blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Then it goes down and talks about the Gentiles. Verse 6, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, and to worship him. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to what? My covenant, my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. My friend, look at this. 
The holy day of God is for all nations. The holy day of God is for the Americans and the Russians and the British and the Australians. It is for the Baptists. It is for the Catholics. It is for the Adventists. It is for the Salvation Army. It is for every person, whatever his creed, whatever his color. It is for every person. Come over here to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 Verse 13, 14, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride where? On the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you want to be happy? Want to be blessed? Do you want to ride, my friend, on the heights of the land? Give it back to me. Do you want to ride on the heights of the land? Come on, I'm asking you folks here. You want to be happy? Don't just look at me as though your corpses in church. Do you want to ride on the heights of the land? Do I have to come down here and shake you? Do you want to ride on the heights of the land? Well, the Bible says... Then remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now Jerusalem is in a terrible mess. History of Jerusalem, the Syrians, the Babylonians, Antiochus Epiphanes, the Romans, blood, 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 and there seems to be no solution to Jerusalem's problem. Could it somehow be tied up with the desecration of the Sabbath? I wonder, come over here to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Maybe the politicians are going about it the wrong way. Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17 verse 27, where God talks to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and says, you need to keep the Sabbath. And verse 27 of Jeremiah 17, but if you do not obey me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume its fortresses. God said Jerusalem would go down into hell with an unquenchable fire because the inhabitants broke the Sabbath. And if you go back a few verses, and you can do this in your own spare time, the Bible says if the people had kept the Sabbath, Jerusalem would never have been destroyed. But Jerusalem would have had a king forever. But what happened, my friend, the holy day became the day of man. And society and humanity withered away and the demons rule. They're ruling today in the Middle East. There is no apparent solution. But the Bible told us what the solution was. Maybe it's the solution to your problems too. Then you come through to the days of the New Testament, to the days of Jesus. Jesus, of course, was a Jew. Jesus was the son of God. He was the son of man. Jesus was a Sabbath keeper. Listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you. 
It is recorded. This is often not known. Seldom known. There are seven. How many? When I ask you, you better tell me or else I'm coming down after you. There are seven. How many are there? Seven. How many did, did you, how many? Seven. There are seven. Now, what are we talking about? There are seven recorded. I'm giving the guys in the control room fits today. <laughs> there are seven recorded instances in the New Testament of Jesus working miracles on the Sabbath. Seven. Seven is a perfect number. Why did Jesus do it seven times? Why is it recorded seven times? Because our Lord was trying to teach us something. And I want you to notice some of these instances today. I think one of them is found over here in Matthew. Would you please come in your Bible? Come over here to Matthew. I think it's Matthew 12. I'm not sure until I get there. Matthew, yeah, Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 and onwards. And here you have the attitude of Jesus to the Lord's day. Matthew chapter 12. You ready? ready. Yeah, glad of getting, getting a response now. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Anything wrong with that? No, the Pharisees thought they, there was something wrong with it. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, grumble, grumble, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Pharisees are always grumbling. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Oh, haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, say it with me, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Listen to me, my friend. Listen, television audience. The Sabbath was so important for our Lord that he put his life on the line to show how it ought to be kept. You see, those stiff, starchy, obnoxious, pugnacious, critical old churchgoers of his day are always looking to criticize the Lord. That's what some religious people do. They're just born critics. That's because they're not born into the kingdom. And so here's this man with a withered hand. And Jesus heals that man. 
And then the Pharisees say, we're going to get him and kill him. Because the Sabbath was so important to Jesus, he wasn't going to leave its fate in the hands of the Pharisees who'd covered up the Sabbath with a ton of religious garbage. One of the reasons Jesus came, of course, the supreme reason was to make an atonement for the sins of the world. But while Jesus was here, he came to show us the importance of the Sabbath. Jesus kept the Lord's day because our Lord realized that where the holy day becomes the day of man, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. There was another man, a great Roman Catholic theologian called St. Augustine or Augustine. He said, our souls were made for God and they cannot rest. That's the word for the Sabbath. They cannot rest until they rest in him. What is the problem with society? Society is resting in everything but not resting in God's rest. You see, God has divine rest for our human restlessness. Maybe, my friend, that's the reason some of us don't have rest in our lives. There are seven miracles of healing. Let me tell them to you. The man with the shriveled hand. Then in Mark 1, the man with demons. Also in Mark 1, a woman with a fever. Luke 13, a crippled woman bent over for 18 years. Luke 14, a man with the awful sickness of dropsy. Then the next one, wonderful story in John 5, a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And in John 9, there's a story of a man who was blind. Seven instances, not six, not eight, but seven instances where our Lord worked miracles of healing on the Sabbath. You know why? Why did he do this? To show what the Sabbath is about. I want you to think about this. The shriveled hand. Much of our lives are shriveled because of sin. Shrunken. Then the man filled with demons. The demons rule in many homes, in many hearts. What about yours? Then there was the woman with the fever, hot, flushed, hot with passion. There was the crippled man. It's a picture of America, a crippled giant. It's a crippled world, my friend. It's a crippled you and me. The man with dropsy, whose blood was diseased. There is the paralyzed man who could not walk. He could not do what he wanted to do. There was the blind man. We live in a world of blindness. We live in a world of shriveled people, people who are harassed by demons, people who are filled with fevers, people who are crippled, people who have dropsy, people who are paralyzed, and people 
worst of all, who are blind. Jesus said, that's why you need the Sabbath. Because apart from me, there is no healing. Oh, that a bell might ring every Friday evening as the Sabbath comes in around this great land of many churches. May it be a wonderful dream. But what a wonderful thing it would be if a great bell were to ring on television and the voice would go out, come and keep the Sabbath. Let the shriveled souls come and be healed. Let the blind see. Let the crippled walk. Let men and women who are in the fever of sin, let them come and keep the Sabbath. Because our souls were made for God. They cannot rest until they rest in him. As we will see next week, the great Saint Paul kept the Sabbath. All the early Christians kept the Sabbath because they understood too that when the day of man becomes, when the day of God becomes the day of man, lives just become shriveled. I have a message for you. Listen to this those watching on television, and especially for you, because we need to hear this. Thus prosperity of the home, the prosperity of the church and society depend upon knowing God, and the Sabbath reminds us of the Creator. I have become somewhat an expert on Russia. Three weeks I go back for a tour right across Russia preaching to all the new converts and trying to encourage them and feed them. 1917, a great experiment started there to get rid of God, life without God. Because they forgot God, they had death camps. I've gone to the death camps where 10 million people in Siberia alone were murdered. Can you think of this? Across that country, 50 million people tortured, put to death. I go there today as an ambassador of the kingdom of God to feed people because there is so much hunger, so much depression, so much tuberculosis, so much sin, so much crime, so much despair. Well, Satan, you did a great job, didn't you? You ought to be congratulated. You know why? Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian philosopher, theologian, said this. Man, he was looking at Russia today, the chaos. He said, man has forgotten God. All these things have come upon us. Whatever happened to the human race? Why has lying in Washington become the norm with so many politicians, so many ordinary people? We're no longer it is considered to be an abomination, an ignoble, bestial. Why? I will tell you why. The holy day has become a day, the day of man. Man has forgotten God. 
Society and humanity are withering away. The demons are ruling. We can philosophize and talk a lot of garbage. You read it in the magazines. What shall we do for society? We need more legislation. Oh, my friend, I am for a Sabbath law. I want you to know this. But not a law that is legislated by politicians because you cannot legislate godliness. I am for a Sabbath-keeping law. We have one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day that commences sunset Friday, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Turn off the television. Praise God you can turn it off. Don't you get sick of it? The yak, 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 yak. The nonsense, 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 nonsense. Turn it off. You can be the dictator in your own home. Clunk. An immediate execution. Turn off the television. Turn off the radio. Turn off the world. Come to church. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. Because our souls were made for God and they cannot rest until they rest in him. Amen. Please kneel. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is plain to show the solution to the ills of society. Help us never to forget it, Father. As Karl Barth quoted the words, that when the holy day becomes the day of man, as has happened, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. Help us to realize that the solution to the ills of society is not found by government intervention and by big infusions of capital or by setting up a socialistic system as the Russians did, it is found in you. Help everybody to realize that our salvation is not in politics. It is not found in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. It is not found in George W. Bush or the Senate or Congress. It is found in Christ. Yes. Dear Father, teach us today to keep your holy Sabbath. As we're praying here with our heads bowed, on our knees, how many want to say today, I want Christ in my life? Can you say that today? I want Christ in my life. Can you raise your hand and say that? 
I want Christ in my life. And I want to honor him by keeping his holy day. Can you say that? I want to honor him by keeping his holy day. And then if you and I do this, we're going to walk upon the high places of the earth. And God is going to feed us with the heritage of Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Dear Father, bless the congregation, the upraised hands, the upraised hearts. We worship you this day. We bless you. We praise you. We give you honor. We give you glory. We pray this prayer today in the name of him who said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen.